Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about the complicated history of the NATO phonetic alphabet and a technique to help you achieve your goals faster. We'll also answer a listener question about why we eat three meals a day. We've also got a quick announcement about our show at the end of today's episode, so stay tuned. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Alpha Sierra Hotel Lima Echo Yankee. I think you just spelled my name. I did. Yay! And I did it using the NATO alphabet. Now, if you're like me, you probably pull random letters out of the air when you're spelling your name on the phone. Like, for me, it's C-O-D as in dog or D as in delta. Why? But for the servicemen and women who started using spelling alphabets back in the early 1900s, the difference between M as in Madagascar and C as in Casablanca was a life or death distinction. Imagine you're on the radio trying to warn soldiers of a mustard gas attack. You'd want to make sure they heard mustard and not custard. So let's talk about the NATO alphabet and its complicated history. Just so we're clear, there is one official version of the NATO alphabet, and it's used all around the world. According to NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the phonetic alphabet we use today became official in 1956. It's now the universal phonetic alphabet, and Ashley and I are going to tell you how it goes. Play along at home and see how many you knew. Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo. Foxtrot, Golf, Hotel, India, Juliet. Kilo, Lima, Mike, November, Oscar. Papa, Quebec, Romeo, Sierra, Tango. Uniform, Victor, Whiskey. X-Ray, Yankee, Zulu. So how many did you get? I think I would have known like six of those. Yeah, probably me too. And before this, the phonetic alphabet went through a few practice runs. In 1927, the International Telegraph Union came up with a spelling alphabet for telegraph communications. Through the start of World War II, most commercial airlines used these code words to communicate. That alphabet featured names of cities, so to spell Sam, you would say Santiago, Amsterdam, Madagascar. But this alphabet wasn't standard everywhere in the English-speaking world. During World War I, the British Royal Navy used a spelling alphabet that began Apples, Butter, Charlie, while infantrymen said Ack, Beer, Charlie instead. After the United States joined the war, the Allied forces kind of mashed them together and came up with an alphabet called Abel Baker but Spanish and French speakers had a hard time recognizing those words. So in 1951, the International Air Transport Association developed a spelling alphabet that more closely resembles the one we now use. By the way, lots of other spelling alphabets have existed, but these are the main English-speaking ones. As for the future of the NATO alphabet, some are starting to argue that we don't really need it. Atlas Obscura's Dan Nosowitz recently noted that nobody actually memorizes it and that new technology makes voice quality pretty clear. But he and the scientists he talks to don't have a good solution. It's hard to find words that speakers of all languages can pronounce and recognize, and it's even harder to convince people to memorize the order of 26 words and have them on the tip of their tongue. So it seems we're stuck with the hodgepodge we have. November Bravo Delta. We got a listener question from Lakeet, who asks, who came up with this three meals a day concept of breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Great question. These days, three meals a day is so ingrained in most of our routines that you might guess that it's some sort of biological requirement. But in fact, for a lot of history, people only ate one meal a day. The ancient Romans, for instance, stuck to one big feast in the middle of the day, and monks in the Middle Ages were actually forbidden from eating before morning mass, so they had their big meal long after sunrise as well. Despite the fact that those monks weren't eating a morning meal, 
that was actually when the term breakfast was first coined. The monks were breaking their overnight fast. There was another reason for the one meal a day thing beyond tradition. Before refrigeration and modern stoves, preparing food was a big ordeal. That's probably why the first breakfasts as we know them became most common with 17th century aristocrats. They were the ones who could afford to send someone out for ingredients in the morning and keep the fire burning throughout the night. But around the Industrial Revolution, the working classes got into the breakfast game for practical reasons. If you were going to work long hours in the factory, you had to have the fuel to sustain yourself. That was also when lunch became popular for pretty much the same reason. In general, eating patterns were dictated by your working hours. So a light lunch became the midday meal and dinner was pushed to the evening after you clocked out for the day. By the late 18th century, most people in cities were eating three meals a day. These days, working hours are shifting even more thanks to the way so many jobs have gone remote, which might explain why fewer people are eating breakfast and the snack industry is booming. But you can still see echoes of our ancient meal habits on holidays and celebrations. Here in the U.S. anyway, many people have Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner in the afternoon with very little breakfast or lunch to speak of. When it's time to celebrate, we're all still ancient Romans in our hearts. Thanks for your question, Lakeet. If you have a question, send it in to podcast at curiosity.com. When you set a goal, but you don't reach it, a lot of the time it's not because you don't know how. If you're like a lot of people, the real issue is a lack of motivation. And now researchers have found a new way to generate it using a therapy that you can try too. It's called functional imagery training or FIT. And a study from September 2018 backs up its positive effects. FIT involves visualizing what it would be like to achieve your goals in deep sensory detail. But a FIT session often starts somewhere else entirely. Therapists might open by asking patients to deeply visualize a lemon. You can try this now. Imagine looking at a lemon, touching it, drinking its juice, and hey, since we're imagining here, getting its juice squirted in your eyes. I'm sorry I did that, but now I have to ask, did your eye sting a bit just now? Your imagination is intimately linked with your five senses, and that's what makes visualizing a goal so powerful. The study reported in the Journal of Obesity was designed to assess FIT's effectiveness as a weight loss strategy. It involved 141 participants who were randomly sorted into two groups. One group received FIT therapy, the other received motivational interviewing therapy, which is a more traditional treatment that urges people to articulate their goals, but places less emphasis on visualization and sensory detail. The results were clear. FIT was more effective. People in the FIT group lost roughly six times more weight than their counterparts who did motivational interviewing. Six times! And as a bonus, the FIT group also kept losing weight after the study ended, compared to the other group who, on average, lost no additional weight. Researchers are still trying to figure out why FIT worked so much better than motivational interviewing and what other goals it can help people achieve. So far, the theory goes that part of FIT's strength is that it empowers patients to help themselves. You don't need a therapist to re-access the vision you came up with in a FIT session. You just need your imagination. So fit, as the proverb goes, may be like teaching a person to fish, whereas motivational interviewing is more like giving a person a fish. The power is in you. You just have to visualize it. Before we recap what we learned today, we wanted to make an announcement regarding this podcast. And I promise it's good news and we'll explain the details. But as of September 1st, we're going to be shutting down our Patreon page. 
Here's the deal. We have needed literally every single dollar you have ever given to us on Patreon. I am not exaggerating. Curiosity has never been a gigantic company. When we have told you this show is only possible with your support, that's not just some random platitude. We were not stretching the truth just to make you feel good. Yeah, seriously. If you've ever given a single dollar to us, then you really can say you helped our show exist. And maybe Curiosity as a whole. Having said that, our circumstances have recently changed in a way that will help us keep bringing you this show without the need for your contributions. This is really good news. We can't get into details right now, but for now, all you need to know is that we've appreciated your support more than you can possibly know. This really won't change the way the podcast sounds, except you won't be hearing shoutouts, which is also why you haven't heard any shoutouts lately. We have paused all rewards and payments on Patreon, so nobody's going to get charged for the month of August, and we'll be shutting down the page at the end of the month. So head to our Patreon page if you want to download past episodes. I'll also be sending an email to all of our Patreon contributors with links to everything we've produced so that you have access to that. Oh, and we're still going to keep hanging out with our existing supporters on our Discord server, and we'll let you know about future plans for that as we figure them out. And perhaps future plans on some other way to get the community engaged. Yeah, we're going to be doing lots of fun stuff, so just stay tuned. Again, this is all good news, and I really want to emphasize that we appreciate your support so much. Yes, thank you. And now let's recap what we learned today. Today we learned that the NATO alphabet was a long time coming. And that we can blame the Industrial Revolution for the spread of breakfast. Yeah. And that if you visualize your goal in deep sensory detail, you might come closer to achieving it. I'm just going to sit here and visualize lunch. Mm. <laughs> Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. Stay curious.